Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more. Hello, I'm sitting here with Dr. Emil Tanagho, who is a professor emeritus at the Department of Urology in University of California, San Francisco. He was a prior chairman of that department for many years. It's quite an honor and privilege to have him sitting here next to me to have a little chat. Can you tell me a little bit about SUFU and how this society used to be called your dynamic society? How did it come about? That's a long history. It's almost <laughs> gotten forgotten in a way, but uh, Eurodynamic has been kind of my basic interest in evaluating the urinary tract, especially the lower urinary tract. And as you might know, it's, it's all really a functional segment of the system that has quite a bit of impact on the quality of life and preservation of kidney function and uh, as we age and some developments come in and change the behavior of it and we have to adapt to it and try to compensate for it and that applies really for both men and women and it's an interesting field and that's probably why I'm in it. Do you know what was going on at the time the society first formed? I mean, there are obviously a group of people interested in the same <clears> thing. How did it come about you guys got together and uh, decided to have a meeting? Well, there were quite a good number of thoughtful leaders for the field there. And I, you know, I was just a young guy starting to grow in the profession and in the specialty and I got attracted to the interest of it and uh, <clears throat> and that's where we all sat down and said well we are dealing with so much in neurology in a way but it is out of the mainstream and I think we have to have our own identity and it, it did grow from there we kept talking about it and it ended up deciding to establish this kind of a society to stress the importance of that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. So what do you think has changed the most in this society? I know there's a lot of changes, but well, what do you think uh, some of the major... Well, just like everything else, you know, you start young and then you grow up and you mature and, mm -hmm. and you start to really achieve the fruits of your effort and your work. And that same thing happened with the society now. At the beginning, it was kind of novelty and very few people were interested and attracted to it. But now it's becoming everyday uh, type of basic practice in neurology. The system is the urodynamic system and uh, has to function as such to maintain its integrity. So it's our role actually is to understand how to maintain and preserve and, and grow up with it and keep it going. And, and the society is doing a great job over the years doing that. 
So tell me a little bit about the history of sacral neuromodulation. I, my understanding is what we're doing today wasn't really sort of what you were looking for in the beginning. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but I'm very curious at your take on the history of sacral <coughs> neuromodulation and how we use it today in the clinics. Well, actually, the, the initial aim at the beginning was quite ambitious, and it was achievable, but somehow it ended where it ended. The whole idea was to develop what we called bladder pacemaker. We we were quite interested all along in the neuroanatomy and neurophysiology of micturition. But we also were aware with what happens with spinal cord injury and surgical damage and so on. So that, that part of it, while we are working, studying and evaluating the bladder function and sphincteric function and the interaction and, and the higher control and so on, just leads without any reservation that we have to have what we call a bladder pacemaker. If the bladder loses its function because of a spinal cord injury, transaction of the cord and it's in its own, well, we have to be able to control it. And we were dealing with a good number of patients of that kind of injury and trauma. So that really what pushed us to go ahead and say, well, that's the goal, let's get at it. And it took, what, 15, 20 years, we, uh, working between the lab and the bedside of a patient and trying to develop what we have today. Mm -hmm. The whole goal was actually is the initiation and the establishment of what we call still bladder pacemaker. We'd like to have something to the patient who has sustained a spinal cord injury at a higher level and lost all function and all control of the bladder, that he can regain that control in something that can be uh, easily applied and easily uh, control the complicated aspects of that uh, significant part of our anatomy and our physiology. So my understanding was that when we call the test phase of the intersim now, you guys were using that to test the intactness of the sacral reflex arc <coughs> as a diagnostic modality. And somehow I heard, again, through the grapevine, some patients claim that their LUTs symptoms after the test of the sacral reflex arc got better. And then somebody thought maybe we should apply a diagnostic test to become therapeutic. Yeah. Is there any truth to that, or is that a well, urban it, legend? It's a combination, really. We were working on both anatomical studies as well as physiological part of it. We were busy in the lab dissecting the sacral segment and the sacral roots and the distribution of its branches and doing some physiological studies at the same time, stimulating individual branches, individual segments of it, the main spinal cord centers. And all this together, right away, you know, it doesn't take too much from there for some scientists that are working and trying to develop something. Well, wow, we can control it. We have a cardiac pacemaker, we can have a micturition pacemaker or bladder pacemaker. And, and that what led us to do more and more of these studies and these experiments 
and ended up with what we have today. Mm-hmm. It's a little short of what we were hoping for, but we're close enough. Sure. How about any history behind the posterior tibial nerve stimulation, which is a little bit different than, you know, the sacral third uh, nerve root access? How did well, that come about? Because I think it was from UCSF also. Correct, correct, correct. That's part of the whole, you know, system. How is it influenced by, by the nerve control? You know, people st- started to see that if you have a little bit of urgency and frequency, and we stimulated the tibial nerve, that you might inhibit this activity. Well, that's a peripheral way of getting at it. Why we don't move to the center of it and see exactly how this is all controlled and how can we put it all together and again, go back to the main goal, bladder pacemaker. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me about this might be a hard question, a controversy in this field that has now been resolved. Is there anything that, like, this was very controversial in the beginning or in the older days, but now, not well, as controversial? I, I wouldn't say it's con- everything new, you know. You'll find people who will believe in it, mm-hmm. and you'll find people who doubt it. Yeah, well, that's nonsense, you know, forget it. Or, oh, yeah. You can do that, you can achieve this, you can avoid overactive bladder, you can inhibit and uh, control the trusal contraction, that, that's great. Yeah. And then from there, okay, let's have the full-blown uh, system under control and develop the bladder pacemaker. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about how you went about building your department. You had a highly successful academic department. What were some of the uh, <laughs> things you learned in that process that you can share? Well, <clears throat> I was in a privileged position in a way because I, I was visiting to the department in a way. I was an outsider that came in here and was doing just basic research. And at the same time, of course, you take advantage in a big, good department like that, that you attend and participate in the clinical activity, and so on. And that actually was building on something else also. Before I came here, I went to England, and I joined the University of London, the Institute of Urology. And actually, that was the initiation of all that interest. And I don't know whether you recall that or not, but. There was a classic publication that came from that work in London detailing the anatomy and function of the urethrovesical junction. Vesicoureteral reflux was a big issue at that time for recurrent infection, for uh, uh, kidney failure, for lots of other lower urinary tract symptoms. So establishing that anatomy and, and that was done in London in, in a unique way, in a way. I, I take credit for developing it, but it's widely used now. You know, anatomy is used to be studied by dissection, going to the post-mortem room and get a cadaver and dissect it, mm-hmm. or taking the organ and serial section it and study the sections and try to build them up. Well, we said both of them are good, but both of them have limitations. Why we don't do it in between? 
Why do we combine the microscope as well as the dissection? So we did do what we called microscopic dissection. We took the specimen and we examined it under magnification. We just raised or lowered the level of magnification depending on the need. And we started to do the anatomy that way. And instead of following muscle fiber, which is very difficult to trace, and or following gross dissection and anatomy, which again can miss a lot, with microscopic dissection, he can follow muscle bundles. So we are not stuck with gross muscle that you are studying or a muscle fiber that you are tracing. You are taking muscle bundles, the bladder muscles and the urethrovesical junction and the lower ureter, all muscles are running groups. And we call that the muscle bundle. So if you take a muscle bundle and under magnification, you follow it. You don't do anything, just follow it. And I developed that technique actually in, in University in London. And that goes way back in, in the 50s. And it happened that their pathology department there had a great artist. And they, at the beginning, when I said that, and I remember that vividly, because the day I said this, they said, well, okay, we have the expert here, yeah, he has to see you and he has to approve it. And Okay, fine. So I prepared a specimen or two and put them in the table. And, and uh, one afternoon, he's leaving home, going home. That was Mr. Ennis Williams. He was a big, big name in pediatric urology in Great Ormond Street in London. So he walked in there and he's still carrying his, wearing his coat and his handbag and so on. And then I was sitting there on the bench and in front of me dissecting my scope and another specimen here in formalin and this and that. So he looked at me. Well, I started showing and he felt curious that he would like get his hands in. So he stepped back, he took off his jacket, put down his briefcase and sat down. That was supposed to be before he's leaving, he figured, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, you know, this young research fellow coming in from Egypt, you know, see. And he stood up, took his coat off, sat down, and he spent about one and a half to two hours with wow. me, wow. sitting in there, missing his usual leave time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and from that point, you know, he was big name there, big boss and so on. He opened the door for me right away. So he got the chief of pathology. He introduced me to him. He said, you take him in your lab. He gave him blood specimens that he will get from post-mortem or whatever. And let him work on it. Give him a chair and a space in the counter there. And, he said, and that was it. We sat there and we did that work. And it became a classic work. Because it has never been done before, as I said. Before it was just dissection or serial section. Mm -hmm. This one we combined the two. Okay. Let's take the specimen. Let's get the magnification. Instead of following muscle fiber, we follow muscle bundle. And the bundle is going to lead to fibers. Mm -hmm. And everybody was so much impressed at the beginning. You know, lower ureter, well, there she is, and so on. All that was just names.
whistle, there she is, what's doing? Trigon. What is the Trigon? It's continuation of the Urdan. But where does it come from? And what happened? And how mm-hmm. does it continue from the Urdan to the Trigon? Well, dissection under the microscope showed it without any question. Mm-hmm. Here is the muscle bundle coming in here, getting there, splitting away, branching, going across, going down, and so on. Well, that technique became established part of evaluation of anatomy in a way in the lower urinary tract for me, as well as in the upper urinary tract later on. And that's how all started. That's great. So what do you think of, um, for urology as a specialty to remain impactful? You gave a very nice research background, the importance of research in urology departments. Because we're in a highly competitive healthcare marketplace these days, where our work, clinical work, is what's valued, not pursuing our questions. How do you how do you respond to that? Well, the the system is a dynamic system, and in any dynamic system, really, to understand it better, you have to combine both the anatomical part of it and the functional part of it. And if the two overlap together, they become more sensible and become established. And that's essentially what we did. We just got the anatomy to fit in with the function. Mm -hmm. When I show you the lower ureter and the ureter joining the bladder and we say it joins the bladder, how? Well, the ureter goes in there, runs into the bladder wall, runs under the bladder Mm -hmm. mucosa, gets at the orifice, its fibers split apart, its muscle bundles start to direct themselves across or downwards or the bladder neck. I just want to make sure you understood my question. I was trying to ask that, how do we take research questions now in the modern day where we have a lot of pressures to do clinical volume and pursue research? So you are able to build a department using your own, you know, interests and doing research, recruiting people who also pursued their interests. But you know, it's very hard today, in 2019, because of the the market forces. So, do you have any suggestions of, you know, between? Well, we we, we we established that in our program that every resident has to have one year in his residency for research. That's not anymore, you know. There's no, there is. Very few programs. Very few, please. Very few, please. I agree with you. Money is, is controlling everything, you know. Well, you can't afford to let him go. And he would not accept to go there and live on a salary of 20000 or 25000 or yeah. whatever like that. So, so what advice would you give a young trainee? It doesn't matter whether they're going to go into academic or practice. What are some of the things that you've well, dispensed? Be inquisitive. Be Don't inquisitive. take anything for granted. Don't listen just everything as if it is written in the Bible. Everything is questionable. And question it. And if it makes sense to you, fine. If not, then question why it doesn't and try to find answers. And then you pursue it from there. I like that because I always thought curiosity was a driving force and why we went into But if you take everything for granted and don't think about it, that's the way it is, that's the book says, you know, okay. Absolutely. Fine. Carry on. Okay, I'm going to wind down this interview. I, this is Toby Chai from Yale University. I've had this chat with uh, Dr. Tanako. It's been quite enlightening, and I thank you for your time, Dr. Tanako. I appreciate very much the opportunity to 
discuss that with you and it's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Sufu Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter with our handle at SuFuOrg, where we'll provide real-time updates of our next podcast episode launch. And be sure to check us out on our website, www.sufuorg.com.